Hello, fellow fantasy nerds. Welcome back to another weekly episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And returning special guest, Joshua Harkey, is with us again today. What's up, Josh? Thank you again for returning. Yeah, you're putting up with me for what is the third time in a row. Oh, more than that, because we've got some Rhythm of War out of the way, too, uh, last week, if I remember correctly, yes? Uh, that was a hell of an episode. The memory of that is for, foggy. Yeah, yeah. For those listening, <laughs> that was actually our Rhythm of War 4, part 4, was recorded directly following Oathbringer 2, and that was a hell of a night. I'm not even sure how Rhythm of War 4 is going to turn out when I listen to the pre, but for now, on the table for discussion today is Oathbringer Part 3, again, by Brandon Sanderson, in its entirety. We've got a particularly explosive climax. We've got a whole bunch of Cosmere-wide stuff to discuss going forward after that. But for now, let's jump right into getting a recap from Mr. Drew McCaffrey. Drew, take it away, dude. Yes, sir. So we kick off with interludes once again. And the first interlude is from the point of view of a woman named Kaza, who is a soul caster and part of a crew searching out the lost, perhaps mythical or not mythical, island of Akina, the capital of Aemia. And they do eventually get to the shore, but it happens that a Dicean Aemian, one of the sleepless, was part of the crew and has killed everybody to protect the secrets of that island. From there, we move to a Teravangian interlude where he is... Real smart. He's not quite a uh, day of the diagram smart, but he is incredibly smart on this day to the point that he alters the diagram. And, uh, and we have some interesting developments where he hatches a plan to undermine Dalinar and take control of the coalition himself. And then our final interlude for this portion is Venli once again. She's our uh, recurring interlude character where she and Demid and several of the other uh, listeners, listener leaders, are being given an opportunity to adopt new forms of power, but they are betrayed. And in fact, uh, all but Venli are taken over by the fused, cognitive shadows of ancient Parshendi, ancient singers. And Venli, with perhaps a little bit of help, uh manages to avoid this and she instead comes out in a new uh a new regal form as they're called um a new form of power but not a fused and uh it's pretty creepy pretty creepy from there we head to part three and uh to begin with uh dalinar's story from Part one and part two continues, and here he finally succeeds in solidifying some allies for the coalition. He gets Queen Fen thoroughly on his side, and uh, he also gets uh, a, an agreement from the Azish to visit him in Urithiru. Uh, but just after he gets that, his memory returns, and he remembers the rift, remembers Rathalas, and how his wife died at his own hand as he burned the entire city in vengeance. Our other main plotline in this follows Adeline, Shalon, and Kaladin, as well as Elokar, as they go to Kolinar to try to 
figure out what's going on there and reopen the oath gate. They stay with... Uh, <laughs> that is a thick beer, Rob. Sorry, I was taking a screen cap. I wasn't trying to interrupt you there. I didn't actually stop the you might have... um, my, bad, my bad, dude. I was just... Yeah, I was trying to screen cap this. My webcam software is already running there. Uh, but yeah, so they arrive in, in Kolinar and find the city is under siege and not just under siege by the Singer army, but under siege by the presence of some unmade. Uh, there's a new cult called the Cult of the Moments that is sweeping through the city, uh, <laughs> as well as um, a faction that has holed up in the palace itself, led by Queen Asadan and not one, not two, but three of the unmade. Shalon goes about trying to infiltrate the palace and, and has a, a brief misadventure trying to feed some of the poor in town, while Kaladin joins briefly with the wall guard to try to figure out what's going on with this High Marshal Azure person, and he discovers High Marshal Azure is in fact a she, and she has a shard blade, as well as some other secrets, uh, <laughs> which we'll discuss later on. <laughs> eventually the the singers do attack the city uh at the time uh kaladin and azure and shallan and adeline and elokar are all invading the palace to try to uh reopen the oath gate and rescue asadan and uh gavinor um elokar's son while they're there things do not go to plan uh asadan is left behind because she has been Possessed, basically, by Yelignar, one of the unmade. Elokar does manage to get Gavinor out, but he is in turn killed by Moash, the bridge for traitor, just as Elokar was in the middle of saying the first ideal of the Knight's Radiant. The Oathgate doesn't work properly, and when our crew of heroes activates it, they end up, of all places, in Shadesmar. And that's the end of part three. So, (laughs) we got some stuff to talk about this week. We do, we do. And yeah, my God, this is a thick-ass double IPA I'm drinking here. I was just trying trying to put it in the (laughs) webcam so I could alt F1 and screen cap it there. But yeah, okay. So, jumping straight in here. Let me flip to the top of my notes again. I've only got a couple of very small style points. I'm actually not going to have really a lot to talk about for style, but I will start us off here. I want to talk about... um, (laughs) <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm going to start with an even dumber, smaller, more aesthetically <laughs> stupid point, but I had to make this joke. While telling the story of the girl who stood up to Shalon, Wit is indignant at her suggestion of skipping part of the story, you know, to get ahead to the good <laughs> stuff. Skip part of the story. And all I could do here was to stop and pull up my phone and write down, Clearly, Hoyt has never had to sit through a Parshandi viewpoint. Oh, just, <laughs> just had to get, yeah, had to, had to get the ball rolling with that little dart there. So, uh, you guys, style points before I go on to my last? Yeah, I want to say uh, Brandon's humor really came through in this section for me. There were several <laughs> points that I laughed out loud. Uh, okay. I think my favorite was uh, when, when Shalon tells Wit that... Uh, Sadius has been murdered and he's like someone offed old Sadius and I <laughs> missed it 
<laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I could I could agree with that one. That was a definitely a chuckle that got out of me even to this day having reread it a few times. Uh, well, later like, on he has the uh, the elaborate like uh, discussion about like how uh, w- he's talking about how everybody in the world is like a little bit messed up or whatever. I can't remember how what he's talking about exactly, but he he uh, counts Sadius double. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even um, even in death Sadius is still getting a few extra kicks. I love it. <laughs> My right. my favorite joke is um, I I feel like my favorite joke is when uh, the, the, at the very end of the part when Kaladin shows up with the wall guard and and Adolin is like I bet he's like made himself their leader or something yeah stormy yeah, bridge yeah. boy he's probably their leader by now or something. <laughs> like, they just hear marching in the distance approaching and I just I was actually listening to that yesterday. And I actually was climbing onto the forklift at work, and there's a there's a handle where I was climbing onto the forklift, and I missed the handle because I laughed out loud when I heard that again. I actually, almost fell off the damn truck because I mean it was a it was a hell of a line, and I actually forgot it was coming. It took me by surprise this time. Yeah, it's I mean, a shiny one. I'll be very honest because this is my first reread of this book ever. Uh, I forgot a lot of what happened in part three. Like That's what happens. My, my memory was that I liked part three and I remembered, you know, the, the highlights, the, the high points, but there were a lot of details and smaller scenes, um, that I forgot until I was like right about to read them. Like I totally forgot about Shalon breaking into Rockfall to steal food. Right. Right. And, and her little, uh, yeah. uh, and I, and I forgot about, um, that she went and got lunch with wit after seeing him, tell the story of the uh, of mission uh things like that uh i i did have one other kind of style writing point and that is in the scene when Shalon sketches Elokar and uh, and she shows it to him and he asks if he can have it this scene really hit me hard and it may realize basically every time Shalon has one of these moments where she sketches an idealized version of a person who's like down on themselves. I think it's just gorgeous. Like some of my favorite, like most touching moments in this series. <clears throat> yeah. I had a very, very similar point actually during my character discussion on Elokar that I'll be getting to later, but you know, I'll, I'll briefly touch on that now. And you're absolutely right. When I was reading the end of part three, and we had everything going on with Elokar, with Kaladin, with, with storming the castle, you know, crimson to break. I couldn't help but have this small part of my, of this, this small voice in my head that said this time, I was like, yeah, I complained about how this, you know, a little bit on how this was uh, pulled off with Bluth. I thought it was a little predictable at the time. I, I found it to be a little frustrating because it was just, you know, I saw it coming from a light year away. But with Elokar... I loved it. I felt like it landed. It did everything it was supposed to do. And in a small way, I appreciated Shalon a little bit more in the in the craziness of this moment. You know, it, it, this was done a lot better, I felt, than um, the way it was done with Bluth. But you're absolutely right. Shalon is, is, is endearing in that way, in that she can help somebody view themselves in a, in a more positive light and actually affect change because of that. That's the more important part. It's, it is yeah. impressive. Yeah, I had a comment about um, the unmade uh, because we really kind of we've only really experienced um, Rishafir from part one mm-hmm. until this point, and you don't really see it until the very end. It's all very mysterious, and this part you get to experience um, 
a couple of others. And I just love the, I don't know, the diversity that they bring. I love the way that Brandon's kind of leveling up the bad guys that they have to deal with. Um, yeah. Um, I, I love the, uh, just the, the sense, the, the horror elements that they, that they bring to the story. I, there's just a lot that they do and it's, it's a, it was a really cool, um, I don't know, really cool path for him to take and the, for the series. So I just saw the shirt that you're wearing, dude. I just realized what you were wearing. That's pretty <laughs> dope, man. That's pretty dope. We've got to like um, screen cap that or something. Sorry, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I, I agree with Josh on that, and and I wanted to say like this kind of throws me back to the lead up to Oathbringer's release and the first time reading this book, where I was convinced. I was like, for sure, we got this unmade in part one. I'm like, okay, Brandon's gonna have another unmade for us to like fight later on, whether it's like a powered up midnight mother or another unmade this is going to be like part of the climax of the book and in typical stormlight archive fashion <laughs> he he vastly exceeded both my expectations for the unmade and the uh rate at which they would appear in the book yeah. going from like oh here here we're going to introduce you to the first unmade we really encounter and then part 3 bam three more like <laughs> It, it was it was great, but it's thematically um, it, it makes sense thematically how in in the first book we have a lot of conflict with within the Alethi army. Uh, Kaladin's main conflicts are with Sadius and, and Amaram. Dalinar's main conflict is with Sadius. You know things like that, and yeah, they're fighting the the Parshendi, but. The real conflicts are are with other humans, and then in the second book, that's when the conflicts really become with the Parshendi. And now in the third book, we're ramping up. The second book, we got the Voidbringers. The third book, now we got the Unmade, and I like that a lot. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will also say I was. I, I don't know why I thought this because I've gone back and looked, and and it's not the case. But I remember when the cover art was released for Oathbringer. And I could have sworn that in the Tor.com, you know, art feature article for the cover art, uh, Michael Whalen said it was depicting a battle outside of Kolinar. And so going into the book, I was like, okay, so this is, you know, the, the siege of Kolinar is going to be the climax of this book. You know, we're going to have all the radiance there, all that. And then it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> That, that happens in part three. They lost. <laughs> oh yeah, and they they really they really lost. I mean, it wasn't just a little stumble. It was uh, it was it was a hell of a of a blow to the side of honor, you know, and everybody on Roshar who wants to oppose Odium. The loss of Kolinar itself was was pretty bad, but the loss of yeah. Elokar, especially for readers like myself, who I did obviously I didn't like Elokar very much for book one, and I really didn't like him for much of book two, at least until the very end when we got a little more context i was so invested in elokar for this part and and i just i'll save it i'll say i'll save it because i have a lot to talk about there i'm still going on with style though yeah, we, yeah. hey we're still on the subject actually of this mid-book climax that's what my last style point is about i figured i said like what a fantastic thing to have in the middle of a volume this size and of course <clears throat> volume this size middle is still relative we're what 600 pages in 700 pages in almost at this point but the uh, stakes are so 830 high. pages no we are not we are 830 pages in now 
yeah, I, I believe uh, the next set of interludes starts on page 829 in the hardcover. Oh, man, part four must be a lot shorter than I remember it being. Okay, because I know well, the book like is like twelve thirty long. Something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, stakes stakes are still so high in the middle of the book. You know, I just I I love it. the The way the attack starts, it feels a little surreal, which I felt kind of cool. I mean, we get our first glimpse of a present day thunderclast, and it's kind of just glossed over as you know we return to the action inside of the palace. And I, I mean, this is all some really, really cool character-defining stuff. But two sentences about the Thunderclass and then nothing else. I just found myself like, what? It's just the way it picks up momentum and it all starts happening before you really have time to appreciate it. It felt out of control, but I felt aesthetically that was on point. I th- thought it was really well done. It was an exciting part. So I gotta say with the Thunderclass, was I the yeah. only one who got like serious Attack on Titan vibes from that? Um... I mean, I've never seen Attack on Titan. I know vaguely about it. I did have, until have you, you seen said like the promo poster. Yeah, yeah, with like, like the Titan over the wall and how. But yeah, I mean, exactly. That's way, way larger than a Thund- Thunderclass. Like what, twenty, twenty-five feet tall? Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, Plus, they're shorter than the walls. I, they're described as shorter than yeah. the Colonar's walls, aren't they? But not yeah. much shorter. They're they're right. tall enough that like when it's on the inside, it can like reach up and knock over yeah. the guard yeah. towers. Knocking the... over guard towers. Yeah, exactly. But I still wouldn't I mean, want yeah, to fight one. Obviously, the scale is different uh, from <laughs> yeah. Attack on Titan. But just that image, the the really famous exactly. image from Attack on Titan of like the head and the hands appearing over over top of the wall, and then you're just like whoa. <laughs> yeah, and it's all happening before you even realize what it is. Like they could feel the thumping. I think a few sentences before that, but you didn't know what the hell it was. There's so yeah, much yeah. happening. It's good. Yeah, um, I actually did have one more style point, and that is for the first time we have back-to-back flashback chapters. In this did part, we? yeah. Oh, yeah. With chapters Ruff, seventy-five and seventy-six were both flashbacks, and I, I thought that was really interesting. I kind of like the authorial decision to do that because, like Colinar, this is a mid-book climax of sorts, and and. It certainly would have been a hell of a a cliffhanger if he had split these two chapters up and given us a couple of Colonar chapters before going back to an animal, as chapter seventy six mm. is called. So, and and you really need that end of chapter at the end of uh, yeah, only red. Uh, that's like, that's a really good point because it just hits so hard and you just really need to like, ooh, I don't know, pause and take a yeah. take, take a really deep breath. I hadn't actually yeah. taken that step back to realize that there were two back-to-back flashback sequences. That is a good point to draw. And, and while you were talking there, Drew, my my thought was, well, I guess suppose you could have put them both together, but ugh, God, that would have been so long. And something would have been lost if we didn't have that end of chapter boom moment. And you nailed it right there. You, you said exactly what I was thinking, Josh. Oh, yeah, that would have been a... That would have been like a 22-page chapter, basically. Yeah. I <laughs> like, mean, it's no last battle, but... <laughs> is that a spoiler? Maybe that's a spoiler. We might, we might bleep that. Yeah. But, but anyway, I'm uh, done with my style points. Again, like I said, not a lot with style. I'm just so excited to talk characters and Cosmere in this one. Yeah, I'm with you. Josh, did you have any more uh, style points? Nope, that's it. Sweet. All right, who do we want to start with? 
I have the most about Kaladin. Actually, you know what? No, I think I have the most about Elokar. But I'm still I have the most about Kaladin. Elokar too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a, a rant that may go down in inking out loud history here, uh, and I'm gonna have to apologize to the future Pat and the future me for having to censor this. In the, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we should start with Kaladin though. How does that feel? All right, yeah, let's do Kaladin. Okay, all right. I want to be totally upfront and honest out of the gate here. It's probably my least favorite of any and all of the Kaladin parts in Stormlight that I've read, you know, uh, including... Hmm. Again, I don't know if I can say it at this point. Might censor that, too. Oathbringer, part three. It's, I mean, overall, the part is really exciting. I mean, it's one of the greatest self-contained parts of a Stormlight book, in my opinion. It just doesn't have a lot going on with Kaladin. That At least not a lot with Kaladin that I really, really appreciate. I mean, there are some great moments. It's it's great to see how Kaladin like easily fits in with soldiers. He's just that type now. How easy it is for him to make friends. It's rewarding to see others who have no previous conception as to who or what he is. You know, judging him to be a man of character. To judging him to be a friend and a great warrior all in his own right. And most of all, you know, personally, I find it great to witness these moments of growth and this, this, these, these introspective moments, like the one where Kaladin's on patrol, and the squad passes a, uh, a disguised Adolin Colin who promptly gets gossiped about by all of Kaladin's fellow guards, and we can see this moment of growth in Kaladin, and when he stops and he's like, these men are just making face value calls about somebody they've never met before. Like, they have no idea what they're talking about. Simply because they've never taken the time to get to know him. You know. Um, but since we're on the subject of the men that Kaladin is befriending here, um, I really don't care for these wall guards. You know, in part one, I lamented a little bit about Kaladin's impromptu journey and the befriending of the singers. I thought it was a bit of a waste of time, even though I could see its use. This is very much the same. I just don't care about any of these new faces, particularly to the point where I would be emotionally invested in them. I mean, I didn't care about Saw or Hen or any of the others, and likewise, I don't care about Kaladin's fellow wall guards. Like, my capacity of characters about whom I give a damn is just completely full at this point. You know? I think I would care about them if I had a chance to spend more time with them. Like, I feel like there was potential there. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I totally get I like you get to the end of the part and they all die and then it's kind of like well okay yeah I mean if they had stayed with us you know through the, this book and the next book I've got more care more context about them more to appreciate I just yeah I'm kind of over it yeah I think that's fair I don't know if I totally agree um, mostly because of one thing that I'm going to bring up in the Cosmere section later but uh, but I can understand where you're coming from. And 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 beard. Oh my God, beard! <clears throat> I hate this man. I loathe every single syllable that leaves his face. Every time he started to speak, I just wished I could reach through the page and strangle this. <laughs> anything it takes to shut him up. His forced stories and then his exaggerations and his hyperbole never entertained me. Never. It was just boring predictable, exasperating every single time he opened his mouth to waste more of our time with his quirks that just don't land for me at all. And I'm, I, I might actually change an opinion of mine. I think this is an opinion I would have voiced probably an edge dancer. I said that Lyft was and had been for many years my <laughs> least favorite wow. character of all time. 
And we don't have anywhere near as much context for Beard, but in the little that we get, I think I found Beard to be a solid replacement for my most hated character, you know? Uh, and I, I can't explain I thought why Cody was lift... your least favorite, but... What's that? I thought Cody was your least favorite. Well, he's Cos- not Cosmere. I sh- did I say Sanderson? I did say <laughs> Sanderson, Sanderson character. I should have said Cosmere character. My, my okay, beard. okay. <laughs> but, and I can't really explain why Lyft would have gone up on that list without going into spoilers for the future, you know, or just, just Beard in that little time that we knew him actually overcame that. He's the one Cosmere character by Sanderson that I cannot stand the most. And I was, so, let me tell you, I was so satisfied to see him kill, or read him killed <laughs> by Saw the Parshendi and slash Singer, you know, even though it was clearly an emotionally fraught moment for Kaladin. I was just so happy in that moment that I wanted to rewind the audiobook again and again and again and just listen to him getting killed over and over again. I actually stopped to write down, good man, Saw. You mean, you don't know it, but you just did something wonderful. In ridding Roshar of this verbal sewage, you know, that constantly leaves this guy, you made Roshar a slightly better place. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to say this right now instead of saving it Uh-oh. for later. Uh-oh. Um... I you like Beard. wish Beard had. No, I'm, I don't. I, I don't like him, but I think there was more to him than on the surface. I think he was a world hopper. Yeah, I remember talking about this with you. You're talking. Yeah, okay. I know. I know where you're going with this for that yeah. Cosmere discussion. Yeah. So I mentioned this with a, a character in Words of Radiance, and. Uh, uh, well, two characters in Words of Radiance, one of whom is confirmed to be a world hopper, and that is Felt. And we have all these Alethi, and Alethi oh, names are pretty, are pretty, like, there, there's a structure, you know, there's a a foundation for how Brandon builds Alethi names. And when you have characters named Felt and Rust and Beard, well, Beard's in- who are, who are yeah. ostensibly Alethi, and then Beard also says, let's just say I know a lot about telling which stories have been made up. Nobody's watching over us, Cal. That's a, that's a pretty fact, realmatically aware statement. Yeah, and this I hope this isn't a Cosmere. I don't, I don't think this is really a Cosmere-wide spoiler thing to say, no. but he's wearing a white armband. Totally white. It's supposed to be, they, Kaladin thought it was supposed to be a glyph word, but there's nothing there. It's completely white. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to say that I'm, like, 100% certain that Beard was a world hopper, but I am suspicious. <laughs> He's pretty sus? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't <laughs> okay. have that Among Us jargon. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, honestly, that's just going to, you're going to have to accept it. This is going to be millennial speed going forward. We have to <laughs> embrace it. You know, but um, still, we're still on Kaladin, though. We're technically on Kaladin, so I want to talk more about Kaladin. This climactic scene at the end of part three, it's just, it hurts to Oof, see Kaladin yeah. in the center of, th- of this cacophony of battle, and he still has no one to fight, you know? This is one of the lowest moments we ever witness in Kaladin Stormblast. You know, sta- like, yeah, they were standing over the honor chasm in Words of, Radi- uh, Words of Radiance, uh, the Way of Kings, yeah. and we have this, you know, Kaladin has been tossed around so many times that it's it is honestly a wonder that he has any fight left in him. Yeah, I mean we get the one remark from Adeline after that scene where he kind of talks about the look in Kaladin's eyes and he's like this is the look of somebody who hasn't sustained a physical wound but a different kind of wound that 
people don't often recover from. Yep. So not the kind of wound that just heals, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else about Kaladin? Though that's everything. Josh, Kaladin. It, the the real I'll say with the wall guard I I like that because it I like the way that that puts Kaladin in a situation with a bunch of people who don't know him. Um, I I think it's interesting to watch him watch his relationship with a bunch of people that we've never met before um, and see him be himself in a different context. Um, So I enjoy that. Um, My favorite thing about Kaladin in part three of Oathbringer is, is um, his relationship with Adolin. Um, We uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, You kind of get to see, their relationship develop in words of radiance. Um, but they haven't really interacted in this book until now. Um, and uh, I just, I don't, I, I love it. It's hilarious. There's some fantastic humor between the <laughs> two of them. Um, I enjoy watching Kaladin's, you know, views on light eyes changing because of Adolin, like when the wall guard see Adolin and they're like making fun of him. And, and, uh, Kaladin's like, wait a second, that's, you know, that's my friend. And it just kind of gets, turned upside down um i i enjoy everything just with the two of them so Mm, i agree yeah i definitely agree it's always fun to read those two in the same scene together yeah Yeah. okay shallan sure all right so shallan for me uh She's. I mean, it's okay. Even though I, I recognize that some of her best character progression is happening in this part of this book. I mean, I've been pretty open with my, you know, lack of investment with Shalon herself as a character for a long, long time now. I'm sure I would like her chapters more here if I was a big fan of her. It's not bad. You know, nothing in particular to complain about here. I will say I did enjoy a few of the moments that she had with Vatha and her um, uh, squires, you know, infiltrating groups and and mansions mm-hmm. in the city to to bring food to the starving peasantry but i i was i was really not on board with this whole swift spread thing I, I don't really know why it just it felt kind of forced a little bit on brandon's part perhaps i, I might have liked her better if she just you know became a, a famous or renowned vigilante freedom fighter of some sorts but swift spread there's just something about the name i don't get something about the reputation i don't quite get you know swift because she appears suddenly that's like that's a stretch a little bit spren i mean she could clearly carry food in great quantities i just i don't know the swift spren thing i wasn't really on board with what about you guys i totally agree with that i i there's some stuff with shallan in in this part that to me just feels very abstract and i don't really understand i don't feel like i'm able to quite understand exactly what's going on sometimes Yeah. yeah um like I'm not, I'm not like in tune with what's going on in Shalon's head, and part of that I guess is maybe intentional. Maybe you're supposed to be like she doesn't know what's going on in her own head, kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I, I, it frustrates me when a, a character is experiencing some type of of development or, or or challenge, and I don't really understand what that is. Um, so I I agree. I, I don't I don't I don't dislike it. I don't hate it, uh, but it is kind of uncomfortable sometimes that it's yeah, it's hard to really. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to really wrap my mind around and, and really embrace it. Yeah, I think you just described how I feel better than I managed to describe how I feel. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, I think on the whole, I like the Shalon stuff in part three. Although, 
some of it does feel uh, out there in in both the abstract way that you're talking about, but also in the like filler way, where it's like Brandon needed to find something for her to do to keep her busy. Um, the it it could have been a much more straightforward kind of character arc for her in this part, uh, dealing with the unmade and infiltrating the revel. Uh, but it becomes a very roundabout thing that has like side quests and stuff. And yes, that side quest feeding the, the poor culminates in an absolutely spectacular moment with the girl who stood up, but it, takes a lot of time getting there that I'm not sure it really needed to. Yeah. I mean, I like seeing her <clears throat> like for like Shalon, when she gets to improvise, I, I, she's very capable. She's entertaining to read in a, in a, in a large way. I didn't find myself bored by anything that was that she was doing. Um, and I was actually, you know, cheering for her quite a bit at the very, you know, closer to the end of the part when they were assaulting the palace and she made you know, Adel and proud because she's able to get perfectly into stance with her shard blade. And I mean, if we're being entirely frank, Shalon did do more for it, more than anyone else in uncovering the secrets of Kolinar, you know. And she put herself yeah. at far higher risk, constantly and consistently, to do so. You know, I, I still don't like her as you know, I just not a huge Shalon fan. But she she was a solid read for this part. You know, again, not a lot to complain about. I was just a little off put by some of what was happening, but it's not like I judge her, you know, not like <clears throat> in the way that I did in other parts, you know, where I just yeah. loathed Shalon. And maybe parts going forward, who knows? I might loathe Shalon during part four of this book or part five of this book. Or even during Rhythm of War, you never know. I, so, I did I did feel like, um, so part three is where um, Shalon, where Vale really comes out more than we've seen before. Uh, we see the the persona really develop more here than we've seen. Um, in the past, it, it always had felt to me like Vale was Vale is just Shalon acting, right? And sometimes she gets yeah. into that into that uh, that role very strongly. Here is where it really there's a you can see a split that's happening where mm -hmm. Vale is her own persona, and and there's a um, a distinction that's made there. And and uh, I I don't know that it necessarily <clears throat> the persona is created here necessarily. I mean, you know, maybe it, in any case, as the reader, like it really stands out as veil is something different than I thought it was yes. here. Um, yeah, and that's and not just, sorry, go ahead. I, I do enjoy, uh, I do enjoy Rockfall quite a bit. I enjoy the, the whole, um, mm -hmm. working with her band, uh, uh to, uh, to, to steal the food and, and whatnot. I, um, I, it did feel weird. It does feel weird to me the way that veil kind of comes out as being frustrated by not being able to, to help other people or how to, it, it didn't really, I guess, fit with my understanding of why veil exists. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and I just didn't really buy into that. It was just kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, Shalon's trying to do this big picture stuff, but it's, it's frustrating me. So I'm going to do all these things to help people. And, um, I, I just kind of was like, Oh, okay. Like, I, I guess I'm just kind of, Accept the fact that you're telling me that you you don't like what's going on and you need to do these things and, and not, I don't yeah. really like that. And and on the topic of of Veil vale as a persona coming through, you know, this is in in this book we're really seeing the the actual name on the page 
change that we're no longer in Shalon's perspective or in Vale's perspective. You know, we don't have Shalon said, we have Vale said. But in this part, we also got her, um, like in, in Rockfall, for instance, oh, what was the, like the stewardess's name? Like, being with an N. Yeah, mm. um, not enough. When she does the light weaving of her, it it says Nananav said when Shalon is talking. And this is this stood out to me this time around that like <clears throat> I don't know, that that was just very strange that she got so thoroughly into the character that the actual name on the page changed because we've seen Vale undercover before and it's and it's Vale. It's not whichever person, you know, she's impersonating. So that was really interesting and it almost makes me wonder if it's tied to the proximity of the unmade because obviously she's being influenced by especially the Heart of the Revel right now and, and maybe there's this passion so to speak that's being inflamed in her and that's helping push her to like splinter her her internal identity more and be more willing to get really deep into her disguises you know and yeah. i believe later on it says the same thing where it's like it, it doesn't say veil or shalon it says swift spren mm -hmm. yeah, the, yeah and 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 backing up another minute to, to a point that Josh just made a, a couple minutes ago with this this emerging distinction of Vale herself and this delineation of Vale versus Shallan, I think it's important to note that Brandon didn't just demonstrate this through Shallan's viewpoints. We saw some of that again from Kaladin's viewpoints as well. Yes. When Kaladin is thinking about Shallan and he's gazing out of the corner of his eye and, and he's talking with Syl and he's thinking about all these... Yeah, how, how how Shallan appears so comfortable and so happy with Adolin, but what about these other moments where she's shooting him sly grins and she's winking at him on occasion, almost like she's a completely different person? I, I, I thought it was really well uh, a nice touch that Brandon managed to show us, not only to tell us, but to show us, and to show us from multiple different angles. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. Yeah. I, th I think That's another notable... About well, another notable thing, so... Um... Maybe the unmade is is part of what's causing that. I think it's worth pointing out that another she, another big difference is the fact that um, I I think that the fact that she's out of Yasna's touch now she's she's off on her own right. She wanted to get away and now she's finally gotten away. And I wonder if the, that freedom is kind of coming with her. I'm in a new place. I've got this newfound freedom, and now what am I what am I going to do with myself? And I I wonder if maybe part of it is related to that um yeah i could i could also see that um and and it may just be the general progression of how her particular mental illness is going that you know she's she's starting to fragment in this way and then she has this uh interaction with wit that I'm very uh, leery about where it 
it could be that she's, you know, this is like her her subconscious talking to her on the Oathgate platform, but it really feels like Hoyt is in her head oh, yeah. talking to her. I figured he was. I mean, how? That's my first question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> but, uh, but she has that moment there where he kind of, he or she th- through him, whatever, she has this moment with um, with Hoyt or Wit or, or whatever going on in her head where she feels like she's fragmenting and and this voice tells her, you can be all of them, but you have to be a king. You have to be like a king, you know, and be strong enough to make all of them bow to you. And it could be that that is sort of an internal turning point for her that, yes, she still is going to have these personas going forward like radiant and veil but the really dangerous fragmenting that we were seeing with her nananov personality and with swift spren and that that's at least been curtailed for now i don't know <laughs> shallan's got some weird stuff going on in this in this part I'm sorry <laughs> yeah our connection is really suffering right now i i just I've, i only heard about 10 percent of what you said there oh dang it um, yeah. um, but then uh, it seems working uh, just fine right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk just kind of briefly since we've already gone over Cowden and, and we're in Shalon. Um, Praising. How do you feel about the so-called love triangle? Oh, Kaladin, Adel, and Shalon. Yeah. I mean, okay. All right. Alright, I shared a lot of fans' concerns going into Oathbringer, thinking, oh crap, there's going to be a love triangle. But then, even before Oathbringer was released, I figured, A, I trust Brandon enough that whatever he does, I it's not going to be par for the course. It's not going to be that predictable. I don't think he'll just fall into the trap of needing there to be uh, a love triangle. And, I, I mean... I never thought for a moment that Shallan was really going to give up on Adolin. Did I ship, <laughs> to use that that word, Kaladin and Shallan? Not particularly. You know, I again, you, you brought this up in Words of Radiance, Drew, <clears throat> when we were talking about Tien and, and there being something about the Lightweavers. I, the, I thought something about the Lightweavers, you know, that, that, that they get along with the Windrunners so well. And it... Again, there are points when Kaladin distinctly thinks that the way Shallan makes him feel in terms of bringing light into his life and bringing a little more happiness, you know, removing that gloom, it reminds him of Tien. And so I didn't really seriously think that this was going to be an issue. Granted, they are all a bunch of teenagers, except for Adolin, who's in his early 20s. But, I mean, so there has to be something, I think. You have to at least acknowledge it, and I think that's what Brandon did very well. He acknowledged it, but he didn't allow himself to just write the obvious and so i appreciated it i think he he did find that right balance and he kind of i think he gave both sides those who shipped it and those who didn't ship it you know something to walk away with and something to be satisfied on i I think it was well done i i come at it with i mean i always liked shallan with with adolin more and so i feel like there's a little bit of bias that comes with that because um what I see with Kaladin feels less like it doesn't really feel like a love triangle to me. It feels like um, Shalon and Adolin have a, a relationship, um, and then it feels like Shalon and Kaladin had this intimate ex- two, two young people that had a really intimate experience. Shalon is going through a, a lot 
um, Kaladin has been through a lot, and so there's there's this intimacy that develop, has developed between them. Uh, but I don't, the way that Shalon like treats him so poorly sometimes, mm-hmm. um, like she can be really she can be really mean to him. I, I, the, there's the one point where she makes oh, the, like the joke about the. Um, uh, you know, at least uh, Gaz, at least my guys had the sense, like, not to have, uh, you know, arrows shot at them while they're running bridges. Like, okay, Cowden's had yeah. been through this traumatic experience, and she's, like, making light of it. Um, I, was, I was about to disagree, <laughs> but until you brought that up. You're absolutely right about that. I was going to be like, well, it seems a lot like flirting, you know? It seems normal. But then as soon as you brought that point up, yeah, you're absolutely right. I stopped this time, and I went, well, that's a little unfair, and that's not even funny. Um, like, so, I, I, to me, it never really feels like... Not to say that it couldn't have developed into something, but it's just, it's not where her relationship with Adolin is. With Adolin, it's just that she needs some trust that needs to be developed. And, and, and um, I, I don't know. So I, it, to me, it doesn't really feel so triangular um, at yeah. this point, at least. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I agree. Another st- stupid analogy. I just, Shalon and Adolin, Shalon and Adolin, Shalon and Kaladin, with their respective tra- like trauma in their past, you know, they are just two people completely lost at sea, both of them separately. And when they see one another, hey, you, they're, they're immediately going to notice and they're immediately going to try and figure out. They're, they're going to squint. They're going to try and, and, and make their way. But, you know, I think both of them realize pretty quick, at least for the majority, you know, that they're really not that good of a fit. And it's just kind of like a passing thing. It does read like a, a teenage sort of... Not a fling, because they never progressed to that point, but it doesn't read like any of them were, at any point, either of them were 100% invested in that. It's just... No. Yeah. Like, I, I will say, I, I want to say that, like, I, I think a lot of it depends on uh, your interpretation of Shallan, which, um, so there's this whole issue of her personas and, like, how it all, how that puzzle fits together. And so I think for a lot of people, a lot of people don't even think that, you know, they think that Vale is more true to who she is than Shalana is, or they think that they're both of those are equally false. And so for me looking at it, everything with Kaladin is kind of like through Vale is interested in Kaladin, uh, but Shalon seems less so. And so I, I, I think maybe your perception of that depends on how you, you put those Shalon pieces together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I will say, I always thought the, the idea of it, even like calling it a love triangle is a bit overblown and it's, in large part because of what you were saying, Rob, where neither Kaladin nor Shallan or Vale is ever really, like, seriously considering it. It's always just this, like, hmm, what? Like, what if? Am I reading? But neither of them are ever going to act on it, you know? Like... Yeah, it just seems like Vale likes to nudge and tease Shalon about it. Yeah, and and so to me, what it felt like was more important for the inner landscapes of Kaladin Mm -hmm. and Shalon, like showing their progression and struggles as characters. Um, Like like Kaladin's interest in Shalon is really just like a vehicle to show how he needs that type of person in his life how that type of person helps alleviate his, you know, inner darkness and Vale's interest in Kaladin is there to be a vehicle to show us how dangerous the like fragmenting of Shallan's personalities could get. But it never felt to me like it was 
a love triangle in any sense of the word. Like when I think of a love triangle, I think of the Hunger Games with, you know, Katniss and Gale and Peeta, where the all, all of the people involved in the love triangle are actively interested in pursuing, you know, like the relationships they want. That's just not happening here in Oathbrenner. So... Yeah. I feel like with a love triangle it's about the relationship like it's yeah. the love triangle is about it's a it's a big question of who's going to end up with who like that's kind of the the trope mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. obviously there's some discussion to be had on that like people as you're reading it um were having discussions some people were st- still. stubbornly still are yeah. having <laughs> that discussion um I, to me though it feels not very that aspect of it doesn't feel very strong um yeah. Do you think it could work though? If it if Brandon had just chosen to go the other way, how do you see that working out? It would not have worked. No. <laughs> I feel like it might have worked. I I feel like if Brandon had decided, you know, Adolin's going to find someone else or something along those lines, or maybe Adolin just dies in one of the future books. I can see in an alternate universe that still working. Kaladin, Shalon. I mean, they're very. I mean, they're, I don't know how it I, would, but I can still see it. I don't know why, but I can see I, it. I can see but it. I, it would, I think it would take a lot of different things happening that didn't happen. I think it'd be a lot more drama. Yeah. Um, I would be really concerned yeah. for the for the two of them. Yeah, the mental yeah. health of all parties involved. Um, yep. <laughs> my um, my biggest issue that I think the most challenging, my biggest issue with it was a, really a meta one, uh, which is that if Shalon and Kaladin, the two like biggest characters in the series get together, then it becomes this, uh, like, how do you make the book about something Mm -hmm. bigger as an epic fantasy? You know, if, if your two, your two main characters all of a sudden got together and are are tied together that closely. Um, maybe just by establishing that they both have their powers before they even meet each other. That might be a way to at least approach that. I mean, I feel like uh, Josh has a good point here, and that it would be well, very, does. very yeah. easy for it to turn into the Richard and Kalan show. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So That's everything I have to say about Shalon, though. I have one last point, and it's it's less about Shalon <clears throat> specifically, but uh, more about Radiance in general. And it stood out to me in this part, because there were a couple of scenes with Shalon and also one scene with Dalinar. And uh, and the line that I highlighted was when she <clears throat> was going to the revel, like to to get in and check it out. She thinks if she had trouble, she would throw herself off the Oathgate platform, counting on Stormlight to heal her after falling. And then Dalinar, in his duel, you know, he he allows himself to be run through, counting on Stormlight to heal him, and and Shallan has. You know, she takes a crossbow bolt to the head, and and she's super willing to put herself in the line of danger, counting on Stormlight to heal her. And yes, like that that aspect of it makes sense. But what I find unbelievable is these characters' willingness to accept the pain. Yep. Like I don't care if if Stormlight is gonna heal you your body is still going to rebel at the idea of throwing yourself off a 30-foot-tall platform. Your body is still going to rebel at the idea of letting somebody run you through with a sword or, you know, standing up and making yourself a target for crossbowmen. Like, 
but well, like it still uh, hurts. Just with the point about crossbowmen, <laughs> just just with that last point, I would say that she, you know, in that point, she's deciding me or my my squires, and it's like, okay, well, I guess it has to be me. But you're absolutely right. When I got to this point, and I, every single time I reached the chapter, Bondsmith, I think it was Bondsmith, where Dalinar does a whole bunch of amazing things, including mm-hmm. repairing the temple of Telenalat. He has the duel with with Fen's son. <clears throat> but when we get the description of him being run through. And then having his lung punctured and his lung yeah. filling up with blood, and I'm and he pulls it out with his hand. I'm just like, I, <laughs> I, I really do find it a stretch to believe that people are just so because they can also he describes the pain. He has the pain. He's aware of it. I do not understand how people are just willing to put themselves through that to make a point. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, and and this is, I mean, it's fantasy. It is Brandon Sanderson, rule of cool, you know, air on the side of Austin. It is, it is Dalinar. Like, of, if, if anybody yeah. in the book that was going to be like, I'm, I'm totally okay being stabbed through the chest with a sword, mm-hmm. I would pick Dalinar to be okay with that. Right. But but it was really the, the Shalon point that I highlighted when it struck me, where I was like, this is, this is really straining my suspension of disbelief. You know, I even started to think that at the end of Words of Radiance, when Shallan is standing over at the precipice of a giant of, a, of the cliff, the mountainside, at, when they found Eurythiru, and the one guard is like, "I would step away from their brightness if I were you." And she just looks at him, and she's like, "I could survive that fall and get up and stroll away, soldier." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that would well, hurt." You're gonna have that to- reminds me, the, the arrow didn't bother me as much because I didn't. She wasn't. She put herself in the way of danger, but she yeah. didn't like just yeah. stand there and say, "Hey, shoot me." Right. But yeah. uh, when she jumps off the Oathgate platform. I did think that was kind of like, that's your plan is just like, oh, yeah. it's it's fine. It's totally fine. I'll just well, jump right off. And it's, it's that or fall under the possible corruption of a shirt martin. I mean... Well, the fact that she does it in the moment I can, is one thing, but the fact that she planned ahead of time, like, yeah. oh, if things go bad, I'll just jump right yeah, off. She it's didn't, cool. She didn't really seem to waste a lot of time trying to come up with an alternate <laughs> with a plan B. And she's just so blasé about it. Like, yeah, don't worry. I'm just going to throw myself off this like mini cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but yeah i mean ultimately ultimately you know it Tad is sadomasochistic perhaps <laughs> some, some suspension of disbelief yeah you gotta yeah. you kind of right. just gotta go with it but since we were just talking about dalinar or, or do you worry about to go on another point with shallan there no i'm done with shallan okay. uh okay yeah let's do dalinar and, and let's save elokar for last because yeah yeah, I mean, I have some Teravangian too, but yeah, okay, Elkar last. That dev- I I like that idea. So d- going on Dalinar, you know, this part starts off for, and for the most part, it maintains, you know, some of of, of Bal- Balinar, <laughs> Dalinar's best work in, in like his the chapters that result. You know, the scenes that are happening here is tour through Thalen City, his reconstruction of the stones in the temple. I, it was Telenalat, right? It wasn't Temple of Ishar. Oh, um. Oh my gosh. I'm like 99% sure it's Telenolat. Because that was one that had been blasted apart the most by Odium's lightning, right? Almost as if in retribution. Uh, that sounds right. Anyway, the point's not. Yeah, the, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Uh, this, that's, I think it's still Bondsmith is the entire chapter here. From picking the fight with Fen's son to, to learning more about his powers with adhesion and, hear, and hearing you know, the pain of the, the spread of the stone, if you will. You know, and and even the realization that he has supernatural resources, he has Renarin, he has healing. You know, it just I adored this sequence. I I found it nothing short of fantastic. What are you guys, Dalinar? I really enjoy uh, the the politics of those early 
two scenes. It was fun for me to see Dalinar like doing Dalinar politics. Donner style politics, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. um, and we talk about the how yeah, silly it is, maybe that he just kind of doesn't mind being stabbed through the chest as a as a political maneuver. But um, I, I don't know. I, I did enjoy like him like finding a way to be himself, but also make progress um, with uh, with the Thalen. Um, so uh, and then and then the same thing when he's in Azir, right? And um, I, I, I thought he handled himself very well and he came across as authentic um, whilst, while still managing the politics of it very well. So I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, uh, maybe it's just the fact that he's actually there in person and not just uh, talking with a span read. Uh, but uh, I really enjoyed the down our going out and doing the, the diplomat thing. Yeah. I mean, uh... It's it's good needed character development for Dalinar, um, and I liked how he was able to, you know, try to work in some of his old strengths, you know, as he's trying to change who he is and change his approaches. Um, I just like I, I don't have a whole lot to say about Dalinar in this part. I mean. <laughs> I, I feel really? like it was just a. What are you there were there were a lot of talking about. We get the revelation. What happened to Avi? I almost said Avi. Evi. Um, I mean, I, I have a couple of things to say about that, but as far as current timeline down are. Oh. Uh, it just. It it just feels like. This needed to happen here. He needed to have his successes here. We've had this conflict with diplomacy since you know, the end of part one and, uh, and, and he needed to have the success here in order to set up or, or in order to provide a payoff for Teravangian's duplicity as set up in the interlude. So it, it felt a little telegraphed to me, but I mean, I like Dalinar but you are right. I mean, the most interesting part of Dalinar here is his flashbacks at Rothalos um, and his relationship with Evie, which is, I admit, a, a big turnabout for me because the early Dalinar flashbacks, I you know, I said I was not super interested in. You know, I, there's only so many times I can read about Dalinar, you know, sweeping about him with a shard blade and, and burning out the eyes of 20 guys at once before I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a little bored with this. Uh, but but the stuff in these flashbacks is heartfelt and touching. Uh, I like Evie. I think she's great. Obviously, she wasn't a great match for Dalinar, but she is she <laughs> is a compelling character and an interesting character. And seeing how broken their relationship is always hits me pretty hard. I'm going to go ahead and disagree vehemently with what you said about Dalinar swinging a shard blade and killing 20 guys at once. I still want to see more of that. I mean, we've had, <laughs> like, we saw a lot of that in book one. We saw a little bit of it in book two. But we, we, it's been on a steady decline. And so uh, the having the context of who Dalinar is and who he was... And, and having him be the Blackthorn and see the Blackthorn in his prime, no less. I think the contrast there is just, just makes it so awesome. I mean, the, that, that first chapter of his momentum, it was chapter three. I remember reading the preview chapters and coming across that one on that Tuesday at 9 a.m. in the break room at the welding shop I work at. 
and I was just so blown away by what I was reading. It was so dark. It, it, had, it was so vivid. It had so much life and, 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 again, momentum in it that I was just... I loved it. I, I, I could still do with more of those scenes. I, I do like both sides of that. But, of course, everything important about Dalinar in this part is his relationship with Evie and everything that's happening. We're learning about her, a little more about where she's coming from, a little more about her personality. And... Oh god, that revelation though. Like I had I had kind of called it just like a lot of people did, you know, going into this book. I said it's going to be revealed that Dalinar killed his wife. Yeah. That's I think that's going to be what happened. I didn't did not recall or uh, I don't recall predicting that it was going to be an accident though. I thought it might have been like a like a crime of passion a lot like, mm. you know, Adolin killing Sadius. But uh wow, in how it happened, I remember Oof. that moment. I was actually listening to the audiobook just for that second or this third part of the book while I was at work that day. I raised my helm and I like when Tanelon starts laughing and it's all revealed that Evie had gone there and she was the one in the in the prison there in the in the I just I, re I stood up straight, I raised my helmet, I just stared into the... I, I had a thousand yard <laughs> stare for three straight minutes. Yeah. I could not... I had paused it, I just could not believe what I had just heard. It was so powerful, it was moving. Like, oh my god. I was so... I was shocked and horrified. That's, that is exactly how it was. It was an incredible bit of writing. Yes. That heartbreaking <clears throat> twist. Just perfect. It, it's amazing that you could see Dalinar being so brutal um, all up through the book. Um, it, for, in part one, it's a lot of uh, physical violence. Dalinar uh, taking his sharp blade and, and killing 20 people at a time. Part two is a lot of, um, is, is more emotional, right? But it's still, Dalinar kind of working through things with Evie, with his children. And it's, it's just depressing to like watch him like struggle with, with life, I guess. So you've seen Dalinar go through like a lot of like really dark stuff. And then you get to this point, and there's it's amazing that there's such a even further to fall, like even further yeah. to drop. Um, yeah. I mean, this this sorry, poor I woman, like I, I just want to give her a hug. <laughs> like I, she yeah, just needs a hug. Really <laughs> she deserves a hug. Yeah. She's such a sweetheart. I, yeah. Everything that that Navani had hinted about her in the way of Kiona's, maybe it was words of radiance. I think it was words of radiance. It was so true. She's not the brightest gem in the pile. But she's the warmest. You yeah, know, she's, she's just so sweet. Like she's, and she tries sweet. so hard. She tries so hard. You know. Uh, I bet we get some really. I bet we get what? some really good wholesome Evie flashbacks with when we get to Renarin. Oh, God, that'd be, that'd be I wonderful. hope so. Oh my God, that's what we oh need. Goodness. That's what we really need. <laughs> oh yeah. shit. Especially because that's, that's broke my heart, Josh. Oh no, Renarin's oh. gonna be book seven, right? So I yeah. guess I was gonna say I was thinking Renarin was book nine, and I was like, we're gonna be like the oh, real gosh, dark yeah. stuff by then. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, so many, so many real like just or like organic feeling relationship fights when she throws words at him like is this it is that again another battle that i've won that i where yeah. i won you and it's like oh you married oh yes i married a soldier i'm perfectly aware of that and like dalinar your other son what about renarin you have two sons you know it's like all of these moments they feel so visceral they feel so real and organic and yeah. it's it makes everything so much more poignant you know in a way and it's just oh it's heartbreaking it really is yeah the the way this line at the end of of only red the first of the two flashbacks where 
he says, you know, he's talking about ruining this place for 10 generations. Oh my God. Um, and, and there will be no weeping for its passing. None, because none will remain to weep. It's just like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's the black. Thing. That's like at his. <laughs> Holy aye, aye. cow. Yeah. That is Brandon, Alan's darkest moment. Yeah. Brandon can certainly write a, an epic one liner and make it be just so awful. <laughs> yeah. In, in another and, context, and you might be cheering the for the character who said that. But in this, you're just like, oh, yeah. no. I mean, even if we hadn't met Dalinar at this point, we would have been like, Jesus Christ. But because we know Dalinar, and we've mm-hmm. grown to love Dalinar, and we know how much this killed him, it's like, oh. Yeah. This is a, a tiny little style thing here, actually. I, I love the uh, the care that they put into the chapter titles. Um yeah, I, I just I love the you end that chapter right, and the next chapter is titled "An Animal," mm-hmm. and so you know, like, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but just from that title, it just telegraphs it. This is not going to be pretty, and I love yes. that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, well I I will say, Stormlight Archive chapter titles as a whole to me are pretty hit or miss. Um, some of them just feel really awkward or forced. But some of them, like when he hits, man, does he hit. You know, like I've, I've talked about how much I love, uh, I think it's chapter 88 in Way of Kings, in the top room. You know, uh, an animal, that's another really good one. There, there are a couple others um, that we'll be talking about in, in the next few parts. Like he's, he's not consistent like, uh, to compare with the Wheel of Time, I think the chapter titles in the Wheel of Time are consistently at least decent. There aren't many chapter titles that I read while reading the Wheel of Time and thought, like, oh, that's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a weird or awkward chapter title. Um, but that does happen here uh, in Stormlight. There are a few that I'm just like, eh. Well, that uh, didn't happen in the Wheel of Time for you? I can name a not. few in, in A Memory of Light. That would be a spoiler, though. But yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that afterward. Yeah, yeah, we can we can make that a, an, an off the air conversation. But uh, yep. and I will also just point out a memory of light that is a Brandon Sanderson book. And and yes, Harriet McDougal. Oh, sorry. Was yeah, go ahead. Uh, she she was still the one naming the chapter titles, but I am sure Brandon had some input uh, at, at that point, but. Hmm. Um. Anyway, anyway, are are we done with Dalinar? Can we get to Elokar? Because yeah, oh, yeah, we I have thoughts. Let's do I this. Have and I, I'm going to apologize again to future me and future Pat and anyone listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, my mouth <laughs> is about to spew some filth on this because I'm very, I was very, very invested in, in Elokar here. I mean, we've, I, I had been making predictions for years before this, that Elokar was a burgeoning radiant and that he was seeing, obviously he was yeah. obviously seeing yeah. cryptics for, for a long time. Uh, but this, uh, we talked about what it was one of our favorite scenes. Drew, I think it might've been your favorite scene in that book where Elokar drunkenly admits his problems to Kaladin. He arrives at the end of words of radiance. He begs him for help, you know, and, Ever since that moment, I actually started to have empathy for Elokar, as I imagine mm-hmm. a lot of other fans did. And I was glad to see him get that chance to, to do something, to feel important again. Leading the expedition, 
you know, to, to Kolinar to, to, to free it, and in throwing his safety into the wind to try and protect his family and his people. You know, all throughout the first half of this book, I had this stupid grin on my face, realizing that I was probably witnessing some of Brandon's greatest character work ever in terms of a redemption arc. And they finally stormed the palace. And Elokar could only think of reaching his son and his wife. And he strikes out with, you know, only with Kaladin, which, okay, I realize only Kaladin is a relative term. That's a hell of a lot of backup. <laughs> but seeing him able to leave Aesodan behind, you know, holding on to his son, fighting through the invaders and the traitors alike, seeing him, as Kaladin said, you know, to get to be a hero to the one he can save. I was almost tearful with righteous vindication on Elokar's behalf and while he was down on his knees he's holding his son he's gazing at that page and I was thinking about this moment with Bluth and how this is so much better than looking at the page in the middle of all of this this is how it should have been done and he starts whispering the words oh my god I got chills I still get chills every time I go back to that moment the hope that blossomed the triumph I was so and then mother Moash <laughs> you son of a brained chin hemorrhaging you are the lowest form of life in the cosmere and I hope that odium your fucking soul for eternity you loathsome soddy piece of Kremlin shit to, to cast aside anything resembling forgiveness or growth or even mercy this is the moment where I stopped hoping for Moash's redemption arc. Oh, yeah, And, sure. and I, I live in the hope of finally getting to witness Moash get exactly what he deserves. To braze with this guy forever. Done. Sorry. You guys can go now. Well, so... <laughs> I mean, I... I uh, obviously, I'm not going to follow that up with a, a similarly impassioned rant, but... Yeah, we're going to have like 25 pet sensors right there. I, can I will say, I loved Elokar's character arc, and I hated Elokar's character arc. I loved it. Why'd you hate it? Okay. I loved it because it's so well done. I, I love the idea of this, this sort of a struggling man. And I hate it because, Rob, you've read one of my books. I have. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now I'm making... Oh. And I did something very, very similar. He did, and I totally forgot about it. I mean, I I didn't forget about it, but I didn't link it with this. Ah. And and I wrote that book. I wrote that book years before Oathbringer came out. And I read this, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me, Brandon. (laughs) I think my reaction to that in my notes to you, Drew, might have been very similar to what I just ranted. Uh, it was. You, you... I was so upset with you. And I, to this day, I am upset with you, and I... Yeah, some of the things that Rob said about a certain character in my book were remarkably <laughs> similar to what he just said about Mohatch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that in may fact, be I the, believe the, the most Rob talked about commissioning of time. fan art of this character from my book being horribly killed. <laughs> Yeah, that is exactly what I'm going to do sometime. I'm going to have it in in big on a wall framed somewhere in an office that I hope to hold someday. That'd be nice. Have Drew sign it. 
Oh, man. But... Yeah, sorry. That was vulgar. I, I don't plan on ever getting that vulgar again for the future of this podcast. Yeah, I was, was going to say, that, that was, was some, like, Kane-level... Uh... <laughs> I, it, I, I'm not going to lie. I had an extra couple of shots of scotch, believe it or not. Mm. Awesome. And I didn't... Yeah, I had a couple of shots of scotch, and I sat there, and I probably spent about six minutes writing yeah. those 50 words or so. Yeah, but but yeah, the, the idea of a bad ruler who has awareness that they are not good at what they're doing and earnestly wants to improve and not just be a spoiled, you know, selfish tyrant, but truly learn how to lead resonates really strongly with me. I, I love that that character development and I... I also love having it end in a bittersweet, you know, moment where where the this this person where Elokar has turned the corner, and we see we have that satisfaction. You know, we've seen him turn the corner and and become a better person. And then have him ripped away from us. Yep. It's yep, yep, yep. One of the best things Brandon ever wrote into the Stormlight Archive. I mean, one of the most frustrating things, but I would yeah. still say it stands a chance for best. Oh, yeah. and also, <laughs> just because I have to get in my obligatory sensor, Moash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the fact that it was able to provoke such language out of me <laughs> not that I'm a particularly saintful person to begin with but that kind of reaction I think that visceral visceral what the hell <laughs> that visceral reaction to stop me from even being able to formulate proper words when I'm trying to talk about them intelligently <laughs> on a podcast like this it that in itself is everything you need to know I mean it, it, so much passion in a way that I have for how much I hate Moash after that that's great character work it's absolutely phenomenal. It is. So, my last character is Teravangian. Well, Anything else about Elokar? I, I want to get Josh's thoughts on Elokar. I, I mean, I don't. I don't have too much to add. I. I mean, I. I, I agree. I agree. It, it's. I, I love that. Even in like the first two parts of Oathbringer, like there's still not. You don't really like him, and you don't really trust him, and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I think when he really wins me over is when um, they're they're headed to Kolinar and. Um, he tells Kaladin, like, when I mess up, you have to, you know, you have oh. to have this plan ready. And, like, that's so depressing that, like, he, he, like, it's like he's just going into this knowing that he's going to screw up. He's like, I've got to do this because it's it's what I got to do. But he just knows that he's going to fail. And, yeah. like, it's so depressing. And I, as the reader, the first time, at least, you, you're you kind of, like, hopeful. Like, oh, no, you'll you'll do fine. You'll do you'll get through this. It'll be great. Um <laughs> I, and I yeah. love, I guess, the way that Brandon kind of subverts everybody's expectations there. I don't know. We've come off of, of Words of Radiance where, like, the, in, the book ends and it's like, oh, here's, you know, Radiance springing up everywhere. And now we've got Squires popping up. And it's like, oh, look, Elokar was foreshadowed up. Here it comes. And then he just takes it. He just pulls the rug out from under you uh, so well. So mm -hmm. it's... Uh, Really well done. I don't know. Brandon's not one to just like kill characters left and right. He's not a George Martin, right? But um, he he finds places to do that when uh, 
for the maximum impact and it's uh that's that's what yeah. happens there yeah i i agree that's a great point to kill a character for maximum impact <laughs> <laughs> that is arguably the worst possible moment literally one word before the man could conceivably have survived such a wound i'm just like i i'm just so excited he's glowing i'm so excited for when i finally you know when i publish this book and i get a a horde of people accusing me of copying brandon sanderson drew you are not going to publish it with that happening not over my dead body oh oh (laughs) no Uh, no way i can't allow this Yeah, we'll, it's we'll so see. bad, Josh. We'll it's, I mean, it's effective. It's definitely effective. Oh my god, legitimately on like it's on this level. And you know, in, in, real quick before you get off Elokar, in Words of Radiance, when he had that drunken confession with Kaladin, he shows up and he can, we get all his context for what he's actually been struggling with. I started to think, oh, okay, I might sympathize for this guy. And then leading the expedition to to, to Kolinar and putting himself in harm's way and, and everything that he was trying to accomplish there, raising army, like a, some soldiers, ingratiating himself with, a, with a nobles nearby. I was like, okay, look at him go. He's actually doing it. Now I'm really, really hoping he's going to pass. And then when he has that conversation that Josh just brought up, when he's just like, he's telling Kaladin, look, I'm going to fail this, and I need you to promise that you are going to save everyone's bacon when I fail this. Not if, but when I fail this. That was the moment where I went, oh, he better have a good arc going forward. Oh, he better succeed or I'm going to be mad. Oh, I'm going to be mad if he doesn't now. Yeah. <laughs> One word. Yeah. One goddamn word. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, uh, you said you had some Teravangian. Yeah, okay. Real quick, Teravangian. I'm impressioned to the fact that we're an hour and 20 minutes into this almost. We haven't got to Cosmere points yet. Um, okay, so we've been, we see something we've been waiting for, at least I've been waiting for, for a long time before this. Genius Teravangian. I mean, he's not really close to that day of single transcendence, but still, he's in here, he's someone who is far and above more capable than he's been for months or years leading up to this point. And th- maybe this point would have been better suited to our style discussion earlier. But I... We've, we've discussed that at times Brandon and a lot of other authors, of course, have this knack for subtly or slightly adjusting their prose it, when, when, when they're writing voice, when they're jumping between characters. We talked a, a lot about that during our episodes on uh, The Black Company. But in Teravangian, particularly in this interlude, we get to witness this next step where Brandon drastically changes his voice in writing the same character just from varying levels of capacity and emotional, like, like, well, I should say emotional capacity and raw intellect. I find that really inspiring. Like, we have, on one hand, this morose, gentle, emotional old man, and on the other, we have this sharp, abrasive, impatient prophet with the 300 IQ. It's, it's really something to see. I loved every single bit of his interlude here, because we finally get the, like, we get the glimpse of what this man is truly capable of, you know, in authoring the diagram. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I had one point about Teravangian. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your, your opinions on it. Uh, it's in chapter 86 that others may stand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's talking with Dalinar about the, you know, this idea of the leader being, you know, forced to hang the innocent man or, or freeing three murderers. And, and he says, this is the sacrifice, isn't it? Someone must bear the responsibility. Someone must be dragged down by it, ruined by it. 
someone must stain their souls so others may live. And then he goes on to say, I am the sacrifice. We, Dalinar Colon, are the sacrifices. And Dalinar does consider it. You know, he, he thinks, I've been of that mind in the past, but now it's, it's, it sounds twisted to him. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly that this is foreshadowing. Um, I mean, it's certainly foreshadowing in one way. Uh, I mean, Teravagin's last line there is, someone has to fall that others may stand. I think that's, there's some pretty obvious foreshadowing there that I won't mention. You know, we could go back to that on a future episode. But I, I'm wondering, do you, do you see a possibility for uh, Teravangian and Dalinar together as, like, sacrifices? I know there's a theory, I don't particularly ascribe to it, but there's a theory that um, we'll see a new set of heralds and a new oath pact. Um, That's the theory that I've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, that I agree with. Um, yeah, I can absolutely see that. Simply yes. Ugh, I hate the oath pact theory. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair uh, too. That's also fair. I, I've always kind of... I, I totally see Dalinar being a sacrifice. I have never really considered Taravangi in that way. It, it is interesting to consider that he's kind of like willing to, to consider himself that way. And I don't, it's, that's an interesting idea. I I've never really thought of it that way. Okay. Well, does that, uh, does that bring us to our Cosmere full spoiler discussion? I think it does. I do think it does. Awesome. Where are we starting? I, uh, I mean, we got to start with Azure, right? Okay. Oh, I didn't even write down anything about Azure. Oh, my God. I just take it so for granted at this point. Yeah, go ahead, dude. <laughs> so, first off, us off, just want to go on record. I, I gushed about Vivenna on our Warbreaker episodes. I really like Vivenna in Warbreaker. Vivenna in Oathbreaker is just so great. She is so great. Yeah. She is... I mean, Chris is my favorite Cosmere character... But Vivenna is on that next tier down with, like, Hraithen and uh, uh, one of the characters from Aether of Night and Steris. You know, like, I I just adore her. She is so much fun to read about. And uh, I've said this multiple times in the past. I'm not a big one for, like, shipping, but I will absolutely ship Kaladin and Vivenna. See, I, I don't only because I, I have some context as to just how old Vivenna is at this point. All said and done, <laughs> she's pretty old, dude. I, don't care. I mean, she doesn't look like it. She doesn't act like it. And, you know, with her amount of uh, wait, wait, Cosmere wide display. Yeah, we are. She, with her amount of breath, she's effectively immortal. I would imagine to last this long. She's got so much life experience, though. I mean, I just don't see it working. Ah, see, I do, and and part of the reason that I do is because of her experiences in Warbreaker, where she was the conceited, spoiled light eyes that Kaladin hates, and she learned to become better. Okay, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I can't argue. With and that. also, she's I one just... of the only people on the entire planet who who like could really earn Kaladin's respect as a warrior. 
doesn't need to be a warrior. Though. I've never yeah, really thought about this, but I'm I'm on board. Sign me up. Yeah. I'm there still on go. board with Kaladin and Rushu. <laughs> What's if the I'm ship name? Shipping anyone with Kaladin? At one point, I I shipped Kaladin mm. and Yasna. That was a weird. T- I don't know why. No, I don't understand uh, just, that one at all. That I, that was like a week, and I was just like, you know what? That little interaction they had in Eurythiru at the beginning when they were just insulting each other back and forth. That felt almost like it had something underneath it. But yeah, I, very very quickly, I was like. Hell am I saying? Well, no, no. But uh, uh, to answer your question, Josh, the ship name is Vivaladin. Vivaladin. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you what, since we're still on Vivenna, real yeah. quick, or Azure, Vivenna, whatever. Do you remember, Drew, what my theory was? Who I thought Vivenna was going to turn out to be in Stormlight? Who I, where I thought she was going to pop up? No. I thought... After Words of Radiance, before going into Oathbringer, I thought Vivenna may have been, since Adolin and Renarin are constantly described as having gold locks from their mother and, and their passionate, like, fiercely loving mother, I thought, oh, Dalinar's wife was Vivenna. Whoa. That's what I thought for, like, <laughs> years. Wow. Until we reached this book, and I was like, okay, Dalinar. No, yeah. Clearly not. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, going into Oathbringer, yeah. I knew that there had been Word of Brandon. Drew's that, frozen you know, for me. That we Josh, should, I still um, see you just fine, but Drew's I, frozen with a look on his face, good. like, "Huh? Yeah." Is he? F- okay, there we go. I got you again. Yep. All right. Yeah, Josh froze for me there. Um, oh, no. really? Hell's going on? But yeah, so going into Oathbringer, I knew there was word of Brandon that you know, like, "Hey, maybe keep an eye out for Vivenna," and and I I picked up on it. You're expecting the some. moment. High Marshal Azure walked through that door and was wearing a blue cloak and I was just like, and was a woman. I was like, oh my gosh, I am mm. such an idiot. Azure, of <laughs> co- I should have seen that immediately. <laughs> like, the, the, Why? Before you the name. meet her? Be- Why? Because the, Azure, blue, her, her whole thing at the end of Warbreaker is that she dresses all in blue. I thought, oh. I, I, I totally forgot that detail. Okay. Yeah, and so, like, the moment... High Marshal Azure walked in and was wearing all blue and was a woman. I was like, "Oh, hi, Vivenna." <laughs> it's because you you saw yeah you're under those those same Alephi uh, chauvinistic ex- expectations there. High Marshal, she could be a woman. I'm just screwing with you, dude. Well, so I'm just with you. Uh, I did have one note on that because you you brought up the Alephi thing. Um, yeah, she is described in the whole dynamic. She was also very Alephi. With the skin tone and hair, her right. eyes a glimmering light orange. I find it very interesting that she's described as very Alethi, and her eyes are called out, but her eyes are not described as Shin. Yeah. Do do the people of Idris have epicanthic folds? Did I miss something from I have, I have zero recollection of their eyes being described as different I mean, from the... Yeah. yeah, I mean, if everybody there has them, like there would be no reference to yeah, say any yeah. different. So I, I just kind of assume that that's that that's the case. I, I, Fair point. I keep forgetting this. I don't. Do the eerie? I'm have trying to remember like how many breaths. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember how many breaths you need to have before like she could like play with her appearance at all. Um, is there an, is actually the uh, yeah because the, um, the oh yeah because, well, it's got to yeah, be fifth right. Because that's what the, because the she also has is. the royal locks though, and I think yeah. maybe I think her her her, her um, ancestry also gives her something with, so she Ooh, might be she point. might be able to kind of modify how she appears. I, that's a good point. I have to. I and can keep that straight with her. 
Yeah, I suppose that your body can change, your physical body can change, at least, you know, based on, on your cognitive impression of yourself and how long that lasts. Like, who knows, maybe she's been on this planet for so long, she's seeing herself as a lethe in some way, and her amount of investiture is... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something there with, like, cognitive know, shadows. I mean, if she's a returned very... now, maybe she's a returned now, and yeah, she can change her possible. appearance because of that. I think it's possible, yeah. From yeah, there's, there's a word of Brandon that... Uh, this is on, from Coppermine. Like return, wearers of the royal locks can also change other aspects of their physical appearance. Ooh, okay, well then that answers my question. Oh, wait a second. Didn't <laughs> Denth's nose shrink when he died at the end of Warbreaker? Because his hair changed color, but I think he also shrank or his face distorted yeah. in some way. Probably. I might be pulling that completely out of nowhere, but damn. Um, Maybe it was just his face turning red. There was another detail there, but it might have just been his face turning red. Um, yeah, it's a good call. Okay. Well, I'm I'm done with Vivenna. Oh. I mean, I, I guess you can just quickly point out she's using Awakening with her cloak, and she oh, has yeah. clearly another Type 4 invested sword that is likely just given a more uh, effective command than Nightblood was. And... Uh, yeah, and so it works a little differently in a, in, a, in a little more controlled of a fashion. We know that there's something like really weird. Like Nightblood is invested more than it should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. It's more invested than the breaths that were used to create it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I I assume that Vivina Sword is a is a type four, you know, bright whatever biochromatic entity or whatever done correctly. Whatever went wrong with Nightblood. Yeah didn't happen there <laughs> yeah uh, and i i do wonder i mean obviously we're going to get the answer in nightblood or i assume we're going to get the answer in nightblood but i do wonder if, if it nightblood. is something that azure and vasher created together or if azure created it herself or if it is a a previously extant artifact from the era of the five scholars after they well, made Nightblood. Do we do we know for a fact that something went wrong to, to you know, uh, as Josh said, with, with Nightblood? Like, perhaps Nightblood was specifically designed to be an entity that feeds off of investiture. I mean, that could have been intentional, right? Would that... that that is my phrasing on it. I, I, I feel... I have to dig into all, like, the kind of support. Um, I'm terrible about, like, coming up with arriving to some conclusion and then forgetting all the supporting, like, like why I actually right. think, I think that. I think that's times. Um, it, it, I want to say it kind of just goes back to that. The fact that it's invested like more than it should be. Um, like, it, the obvious thing wrong with Nightblood is the whole like issue of like they were, it was told uh, destroy evil and it doesn't know what evil is, but, mm-hmm. but there's more to it than that because yeah because of the, the the way that it's weirdly invested it, it just it does things that it like shouldn't it shouldn't be able yeah. to do and and Vin's sword is is kind of the almost the the counter example to that here's one that's clearly is some kind yep. of more normal version of what nightblood sh- probably should have been i i don't i don't get the sense that uh vasher and and uh shashara were um trying to make what nightblood is <laughs> So I, I do have one I mean, yeah. kind of question. That... Vasher did kill her to stop that from happening again, right? So that might yes. be another point for Josh there. Mm-hmm. Um, so her her blade, uh, Vivenna's blade, turns people gray. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but that is essentially the phenomenon of drabs on Nalthus. Not drabs, lifeless. Or lifeless, okay. Okay, so that, that does help a little bit. But I, I still, like, I want to know where the realmatic connection is there. Because these are Rosharans. They don't have breath. What, what about, like, I, I, I don't know how to properly articulate it. Clearly her blade is... You're comparing is it to Nalthian. a shard blade. Yeah. Like, clearly her blade is Nalthian in origin and is operating on Nalthian invested arts. But why is it affecting Rosharans in a way that should be unique to Nalthians? I guess. We know it's a strictly Nalthian invested art because there's, I mean, homology works across the entirety of the Cosmere, right? Well, the phenomenon of people turning gray. Like, color is, you know... And, and, be, and because, to, oh, and because of the unique aspects of breath on Nalthus, where you can have drabs and lifeless, you can't have that, you know? Yeah, I, I had a... I was in an argument with somebody at some point about this um, who else, who also thought it was kind of weird or I guess they were arguing a different point. I forget exactly what it was, but I, I, to me, it makes sense. I guess that it's tied to the magic system of the sword itself. So Mm -hmm. it it makes sense to me that a shard blade anywhere in the Cosmere would burn out eyes because it is tied to this investiture that has roots in Roshar and, and the sword would suck out color because it is tied to awakening. Um, I, it would be weirder to me if a Rosharan was on Nalthus and somebody and and somebody you know swiped it with the sword and like their eyes burned out. Does that make sense? I mean, like just I mean, because they're yeah, from well, Roshar. Yeah. I I mean I'm not trying to like argue that this is a plot or something. I just am trying to figure out what the mechanism is that's <laughs> allowing this to happen. Sure, sure. Right. So my point, my point being, I think that it it makes sense to me that it's the sword is related to awakening, mm-hmm. and so that's tied. That's where the color thing comes from, as opposed to where you are, like just where you geographically are. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, invested arts can work geographically elsewhere. Um, I just like I really want to know why people turn gray when struck by this sword. Same. <laughs> and, and consider this: I mean, we see Nightblood in action at the end of this book, and it seems to do the exact mm-hmm. same thing to Zeth in feeding off of his investiture yeah, the and black like, killing him and draining him of his life force. Yeah. That Nightblood did also on Nalthus. So Nightblood yeah. works in almost the exact same way. It's not too much of a stretch that to, to believe that if. If Vivenna's sword was created, I mean, it probably was created on Nalthus, it would still probably react very similarly. Simil- yeah, similar yeah I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't. I'm not saying that it wouldn't. Or yeah, no, sorry, I'm just providing context. I'm not, I'm not trying to like <laughs> okay. counter something you yeah. said. I'm just adding. Uh, I just, like, I really want to know what this realmatic mechanism is. Yeah, that, how it works. Yeah, yeah. That, fully agree. Yeah, like, come on, Brandon, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you up to? What's under so, the hood? I want to see so just badly. Give me more Vivenna, yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame you for that. I was a huge fan of Vivenna too. Yeah. Um, my next point is a stupid little. It's a really, really stupid little aesthetic thing. But 
I found it really predictable, so that bothered me. Mm. We get this scene where Dalinar is departing for Azir, and Navani, at the last moment, hands him a bagged lunch. And I groaned so loud. <laughs> like, the, the, like, this holds the place, in my humble opinion, as the single most heavy-handed piece of predictable thing that Brandon has ever done in any of his books ever. The instant that Navani handed him the food, my first thought was, oh, lifted probably like that. And then it occurred to me, I was like, oh, wait, he's going to Azir of all places. I must have face palms so hard that I risked a concussion. Like, I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I kept thinking, no, 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 Brandon, you're, you're better than this. You don't need to plant something so predictable. Please don't make, just don't try and make this a surprise in some way. And sure enough, here comes the moment where Dalinar is reaching he has a moment to breathe. He reaches for the lunch, and he just finds it gone. I'm just—I'm not gonna lie. I was so mad at this moment. I was like, <laughs> I put the book down, mind you. This was my first read of this book. I put the book down and went and did something else for a couple hours because I just—I was so—I was like, oh, why? And I was also keep in mind this is at the point in my life where Lyft was my least favorite character that he's ever written. Not anymore. But I just, I, it pulled me out of the book so much because I could see that coming from a light year away. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. So. Yeah. You guys, did you see that? I assume you both saw that coming. You guys are both astute gentlemen. I honestly don't remember if I did or not because it was so yeah. long ago. You know, I, I doubt I did. I don't usually take note really? of things like that. Navani hands Dalinar a lunch. How many times have we seen the Blackthorn eat? And he's in the middle of traveling somewhere else, and he's getting handed a bagged lunch, and then he's going to Azir? It's uh, like, oh, Christ. Yeah, I was yeah. like, ah. Um, anyway. So, do you guys like that? If, if you see something coming from that far away, even if it's this small, does it bother you at all? It uh, depends. No, not really. Yeah. Okay. I probably it, enjoy it, honestly, because I kind of like like the, like, oh, like I, I caught it, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, I really like those moments where it's like, oh my god, how didn't I catch that? Those are my moments that I live for. Yeah. So I, I have one here. Um, who who's uh, who's the shard that worships Hoyd? A what? So Hoyd is talking with Shallan, and she asks him if he's a herald, and he's like, "I'm not stupid enough to get mixed up in religion again. The last seven times I tried it were all disasters. I believe there's at least one god still worshiping me by accident." I, I see. I actually read that as um, as uh, returned. Yeah. Okay. Is oh. Be God? I that was be what I asked. Okay. That, see, that would make more sense. Um, I was thinking of it as like pre-shattering. One of the vessels thought Hoyd was a god. Okay. And then ascended, and now he's like, "Well, now there's a god worshiping me." But I, I wouldn't put it past autonomy when. An aspect of autonomy. <laughs> yeah, that, I I also thought about that briefly because of, you know, the letter in this book. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I like returned. That that sounds good to me. I'm gonna go with that. Um, I'm gonna go back to a point that I brought oh, up uh, in Words of Radiance. Oh, um, and I'm gonna Sweet. just pat myself on the back for it. Uh, when Shalon <laughs> is, um, handing out food. Uh, she's just been called Swift Spren, and, and and you know, Pattern is asking her, why are you so happy about feeding so few? And she's like, feeding these few is something we can do. He's like, so is jumping from a building, and he's like, you lie, Shalon. And she says, Veil. 
And he, he goes, your lies wrap other lies. Mm. He sounded drowsy. Could Spren get drowsy? Mm. And then he says, remember your ideal, the truth you spoke. I was right. In Words of Radiance, when he was, he sounded exhausted. And, and she thinks the same thing. She's like, can Spren be tired? And I was like, the only thing I can think of is that she is actively like damaging her bond with him. And it's making him dumber slower of thought mm-hmm. and I think this is when he says remember your ideal the truth you spoke I think I nailed that one yep I have that is like my seventh out of eight miscellaneous points here and I was like oh Drew you sly devil you you caught this one I, I totally forgot that there was this moment I remembered the moment when you were talking about it in words of radiance I yeah. was like yeah I noticed that but I didn't find it weird at all when I came across it in this part, I was like, oh, okay, well played. Yeah. Take a bow, dude. That was nice. Yeah, I certainly didn't remember this nice. happening until I read it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, but, but yeah, that, that yep. one felt good. Josh, miscellaneous point before I continue? Um, World Hopper, we didn't, so we haven't talked about Rial. Ry- mm-hmm. Oh. I'm if you guys ever took any note of him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I think him. it seems like I, he doesn't really do much in the rest of the book, and uh, I was curious if you guys had thoughts on really him. I actually really liked his interactions with Dalinar, which odd, weirded me out, because normally that's the kind of humor I really don't like. And, I, I, you know, that brief interaction made me laugh, but I never actually stopped and really gave him the sus, you know? It never really occurred to me. Um, yeah. There's, there's some part where he's, like, a palming a sphere, and I've, I've heard people, like, wonder he's if he's rolling it across his knuckles. Like a coin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he remember. carries an alcohol flask. Um, I, I know at least uh, there's a reasonably popular theory that he is the Chandra on Roshar. Although I don't I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, uh, uh, one of the... Uh, one of the people at JordanCon... Would have been two years ago asked Brandon a, a few questions about him, trying to lead Brandon in that direction, giving an answer, and he raffled a bunch of things about him. Um, but I think the alcohol flask is more a sign that he might be an allomancer than that he's the Chandra. Oh, I've never heard that. Or at least I don't recall. Yeah, it was during the Rafa Olympics. I think it was in oh, 2019. Huh? Was Oh, no, it would have been 2018, okay. because Brandon wasn't there in... Or wait! Oh my gosh, I'm losing track of the years. It had to have been 2018. Getting old, man. Yeah, it had to have been 2018. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, yeah. How how? Sorry. I was just saying. Yeah. How amused were you guys when you realized that Hoyd's story about Misham? Was the exact story yeah. that Sigzil tried and bombed so yeah. hard to tell Kaladin <laughs> earlier in the book. Yeah, I, I did like that. <laughs> it makes Sigzil's story so much funnier on a reread when you, it, it, you come back and you yeah, realize what it, he's trying it, to say. <laughs> think about that decision on Brandon's part to make that only appreciable with a reread. Because if he had swapped them, if Hoyd had told that story first... And then Sigzil tried and failed to tell that story. It still would have been funny. But this was something that you can only appreciate when you go and you read it again. Because, oh my god, it was... Ah, it's just, it's so wonderful. When you get that original failure and then you get to the end. Me, it didn't stick. It didn't stick. On the next read, when I got to Sigzil's attempt again, I was like, oh, ho, ho, ho. Brandon, you sly dog. It was really, really well done. I like that Brandon can still play 
with the reader in new and interesting ways. I was thankful that he slipped in uh, two wit stories in this book. With, yeah. Between a girl who stood up and I, I just like always love wit stories, but you, you so far we'd only gotten like one, one per book. Um, tell you so. what, I didn't like these two. Really? What? I really liked the way of Kings. I really, uh, sorry, Dareth in the wander sale. And I really, really liked uh, fleet and words of radiance. Wasn't a huge fan of either of these two. Whoa. I think Fleet is my least favorite of them, and uh, the Wander Sale is my favorite for reasons we've covered on past episodes. But talking about aesthetic and chapter titles, uh, and yeah, stuff. yeah. Um, but I, I think the girl who stood up is my second favorite. Really? Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll have to just we'll have to check back in on um, <laughs> on Rhythm of War, yeah. perhaps. And, and and compare. Uh-huh. I wasn't sure whether I was going to say that, but the yep. story there. But uh, but yeah, I I really love the girl who stood up. Sweet, sweet. I still have a few points, but I'll give another one of you guys a chance to throw something forward. Uh, Josh, do you have anything, or do you want me to take this? You take one. All right. Well, I I really enjoyed that Kaladin flicked away a dicey and Amian hordling in the wine house. What? Where? Yeah. Sorry, what house? In the wine house during the, the high house. Storm. Really? Kaladin, quote, flicked away an odd Kremlin that he spotted clinging to the side of the bench. It had a multitude of legs and a bulbous body with a strange tan pattern on its back. Disgusting. Even with the stresses to the city, the proprietor could at least keep his place clean. <laughs> ah, that one right over my head, dude. Nice They're call. Everywhere. Yeah. Wow. I love so much when Edge Dancer came out and it just totally like suddenly every every bug that has appeared so far is now suspect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything with more than four legs, it's like sus- it's suspicious. It's like I'm looking at you. Something's going. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to put something forward about Toral Sadius that I've been saying for a long, long time. Um, I mean, obviously, the man, he's, he's very clearly dead. But I'm so I'm so suspicious of this guy. And let's take a moment to, to step back and think critically here. Yes, it's revealed that Tantalon, the, the younger Tantalon, had been playing Dalinar all along. Like, the entire time. Even his supposed surrender was part of the plan. And that, like, you know... One of the many things he lied about, supposedly lied about, was the involvement of another Alethi high prince in his, you know, in the foundation of his own power. But let's realize something here. Not only was the strange caravan wearing Sadia's colors, an apparent ruse, you know, or, or a misdirection, I should say, but there's a very specific moment we get in another flashback entirely in Chapter 3, Momentum, yeah, yeah. where Sadius, after the battle, tells Dalinar, We need to get you some shards, my friend. Too much, you know, Dalinar is like, you want to protect me? And Sadius is like, protect you? Storms Dalinar. At this point, I'm not certain a rock slide could kill yep. you. It's pretty suspicious right there. And hey, what a coincidence that years late, decades later, Tanalon is claiming that Toral Sadius is truly working against the throne. What a coincidence that these men on the caravan are flying his colors. And, the, you know, uh, that one of the things which supposedly doomed the rift is Dalinar's miraculous survival, and then Toral Sadius himself arrives, and it happens to be far earlier than the Colin army was expecting. You know? 
at the end of The Way of Kings, he, he told Dalinar, he said, I don't act on everything, but I'm constantly planning for everything. I think this is one of those moments. He was, he'd already had this plan in place to try and kill... How am I going to kill Dalinar if I don't have shards to face him? Rock slide, you know? I think that's a pretty clear... It, it, Sadius was do, was planning this for decades. That's all I'm saying. No. I don't think Sadius no? was behind the rock slide. I you don't. Think... I do think it was Tanalan trying to turn, um, turn Dalinar and Sadius against each other. Why does Sadius other? also show up early and then make the comment about the rock slide? I mean, I think that's just Brandon's sense of irony. Yeah, that especially the comment about the rock slide because that was years and years and years before that. That was like decades before. Yeah, no. yeah, no, but like. I find that to be way too much of a coincidence. Not that I think there's going to be anything else coming out about Sadius or that he has any involvement necessarily going forward, but I just. I maybe maybe it's just a nod to the fact that Sadius was evil, like, all along. He was always such a terrible person. I don't know. Yeah. I could be falsely reading into it. I mean, I, I do think Brennan wrote it in such a way that it's like. He wants us to think about it and, and debate it. Mm-hmm. But I. I think I fall on the side that Sadius, in this case, was not duplicitous. Okay. Okay. Uh, anything else? I continue. I've got one. Yes. Go ahead. So, um, after, at the end of all the Rift chapters, uh, Donner talks about the screams that he... he He's, he's like here's like the screams of like all the people. Literally, he's my next point. I love and, you so much right now. Go for and, it. And <laughs> uh, Evie's voice joined them. Um, yep. Yeah. I don't. I, maybe you have something specific, different you want to say, but I, I think it's interesting that we have this. Um, we also have something very similar happening with Zeth. Um, yes. Where he hears the screams of all the innocent people. Um, I don't. I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on on the whole uh that whole thing there's there's a lot of theories that there's like something wrong with the afterlife on roshar or that there's there's something there's something really magical going on it's not just brandon using some kind of device to that they're you know that they're feeling guilty but there's literally something magical wrong that's going on that's causing this to happen I mean, I, I or maybe it's just like that theory. I haven't heard theory. it before. I will admit I have sort of avoided theorizing in this direction because I just plain, like, don't know. <laughs> like, clearly there's something weird going on, but with how cagey Brandon and, and how purposely nebulous he's being about the beyond and, and the afterlife in general, where he's like, I don't know if I ever really want to answer this. I sort of just write it off as like, if stuff happens, stuff happens. But I, uh, yeah, I like that theory. Yeah, I mean, I I noticed it when it was happening with Zeth, specifically during Words of Radiance, when he was going around and just really, really causing havoc. Oh wait, no, sorry, not Words of Radiance. He only had one uh, one little viewpoint. Words of Radiance. I'm thinking of the Way of Kings. You know these these screams that he's hearing, especially at the end in in the the et, not the epigraph the epilogue. You know he hears these screams again, and when we got this with Dalinar, I definitely made that point to stop and go. There's something here with Dalinar. My thoughts took me in different in different directions. Like perhaps this is him being a bondsmith. Maybe it's the screams of Spren of some sort that he's hearing. I don't know, but you're you have to be onto something here. There is a correlation between the screams that 
Dalinar hears and the screams that Zeth hears. I mean, I just... Again, it's just such a coincidence. I, I don't really think there are many coincidences in what Brandon Sanderson writes. Yeah, I mean... I agree. <laughs> uh, I do think there are some coincidences, but... I mean, we know there are some coincidences, you know, things like Shosh, you know, Shosh on Nalthus yeah. and, and Shosh on Roshart, but but I think those coincidences are few and far between. So, yep. Um, yep. I, have, I have one last point, and I don't really have anything to say about it other than uh, this one's for you, Josh. The epigraph from chapter 81 we are uncertain the effect this will have on the Parsh. At the very least, it should deny them forms of power. Milishi is confident, but Ney's daughter Kuzodo warns of unintended side effects. So, that's my last miscellaneous note. Yeah, um, I love that we waited two hours to bring up the epigraphs. I totally forgot about these. <laughs> yeah, well, these epigraphs, I, I, they're fun, but they're also very um, veiled, pun intended. Like, hmm. you know, they're, there's a lot of stuff in them that's like clearly being set up for things later on but that we just don't know enough. I mean, I, I there's all kinds of theorization about the uh, the one Windrunner, I think it's like chapter 80, probably like 85 or, or 86. Yeah, chapter 86, oh, you know, 86. my spren claims that recording this will be good for me, so here I go. Everyone says I will swear the fourth ideal soon, and in so doing earn my armor. I simply don't think that I can. Am I not supposed to want to help people? Uh, you know, like that's been the basis of theorizing for the fourth ideal for, you know, basically since yeah. the day this book came out. You know, things like that. Yep. But it, some of them are even it's a, it's a real mixed bag of epigraphs because some of them are just, it's literally like you just have the person talking about like her family. Yeah, you know? it's just kind of gives you a, paints a picture of you know these are just normal people. So, but then some of them are like deeply. Uh, this like top secret lore that everybody's like clamoring for that yeah. they're kind of hinting at yeah. like that one. Yeah. One that I had to, that I drew to talk about here, 67, this generation has had only one bondsmith and some blame the divisions among us upon this fact. The true problem is far deeper. I believe that honor himself is changing. Good Lord. <laughs> or 85. Don't tell anyone. I can't say it. I must whisper. I foresaw this. Oh, that one's like, juicy. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, they're so they're so well done. I love all of these. Um. Yep. yep. Yeah. Or even Drew, with your with your theory that you had for the long that you had for a long time about the sibling being Urethiru. You know, good night, dear Urethiru. Good night, sweet sibling. Yes. Good night, radiance. That that's where you base that entire theory off. Mm-hmm. It did. Um, but yeah. 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 Do we have any up. more miscellaneous points or shall we head into the final draft? Because I am very excited for uh, the final Just one draft. small question here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> small question. Uh, I'm still suspicious as hell, though. During this climactic 
battle at the end of part three inside the Kolinar Palace, there's a moment right before Elkar dies where he's stabbed. It's it's not the final stabbing, you know, through the eye by Moash. It's not even the part where Moash runs him through with oh, a spear. Oh, through the arm, yeah. But right before that, there's a corrupted Queen's Guard that first draws the king's blood. The Queen's Guard's been pulled back, eyes widening as if seeing the king for the first time. And then he's immediately cut down by one of Azure's soldiers. What is that? I think it was just like it, it was such an act of violence that it it like shook free the um the like blanket of the unmade from him and he like realized what he was doing. Okay, just an emotional tr- uh, shock strong enough to kind of detach him from the yeah blanket that the unmade's putting upon his mind maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I never read anything deeper into that. Okay. Alright, um, my very last question then. Dalinar has this moment of revelation about the depths of his horrible crimes. The Stormfather tries to, con- to console him, saying, I have burned and broken cities myself. I had to stop this time and actually ponder what that meant. Like, what, what do you mean burned? Last I checked, high storms were mostly water. Water and wind. They contain so much water, in fact, I don't think any fires could sustain during a high storm or they could even bring fires. And more oddly... Entire cities? Like, cities that would have had to been built or not built behind rock geography for protection? Like, what is he talking about? Everything that we know about the Stormfather, as far as I know, I, I don't honestly see logistically how he could burn or break cities. I think this is Tanavas talking. Okay. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. Interesting. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> Alright, we're just going to leave it there, because <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing. Okay, um, I'm ready for the final draft myself. Okay, I will say, I have two beers, so, like, Rob, if you want to go, then I'll go, then Josh goes, then I'll sure. go again. I actually, yeah, I, I have to, uh, because this beer was so delicious and I drank it so quickly, I'm going to have to peace out for a minute after I say this here, so I'll give us a start. I'm drinking a double IPA from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewing in Barrie, Ontario. Um... I showed the guys at the very beginning on the webcam there. I was What I was really trying to do was just take a screenshot so I could upload it later. I ended up just taking a picture with my phone. It's so thick. It, it's just like, it looks like a, a, a glass of orange cream with a head on it. And it was very, very nice. It was very, very citrusy, as you would expect from a, do- a double I- IPA. But I saw the name of this. I mean, it was the psychedelic sort of can that caught my eye there. And I, I gave it a closer look. And it made me think of how much time we spend in Dalinar's head, particularly in his past in this book. I mean, Drew, you even drew that point earlier about how we had two back-to-back flashback sequences. Yeah. Spent a lot of time in the past during this part here. And so this here, the double IPA, is called Adventures in Time Surfing. Nice. And it's an 8.2% ABV mm. beer, which I had no idea until I was halfway through it. Mm. Very nice. Very, very good, though. Very nice. Adventures in Time Surfing. What about you guys? So, my first beer is from the ever-reliable Anchorage Brewing Company in Alaska. I have featured their beers many times on this podcast, and I imagine I will continue to do so because they just keep making beers with great names. Uh, This one is a, a frankly ridiculous imperial stout aged in Missouri oak barrels. 15.5%. 
incredibly sweet, <laughs> uh, aged on coconut, and and they are not kidding with the coconut. Like I poured this, you had and there were like oh my god, actual flakes of coconut floating in the beer. It is outrageous. It is so strong. Oh. It is so sweet. But uh, I I would like to bring your attention back to chapter 86 so that others may stand. What Teravangian said. This is the sacrifice, isn't it? So one must bear the responsibility. And then later he says, I am the sacrifice. We, Dalinar Kolin, are the sacrifices. And this beer is called the sacrifice. I knew that was going to come out of your mouth. So nicely done. Very, very nice. We are the, a delicious coconut-aged beer. Dude, I've said this before. Or is it an imperial stout? I, I, I've said this before. I am such a sucker for coconut. I will eat anything if it tastes like coconut. Yeah. it's. I saw the look on your face when you were drinking that earlier in the episode. You were like, damn. That thing is strong. You look very, very happy. It is strong. <laughs> nice. Josh. What are you sipping on? I've got, um, this is a uh, same brewery that I actually had from last week. Um, this one is actually the, the one I was even more excited to, to, to share. Oh, this one's really fun. Nice. Um, this is 13 stripes brewery in Taylor's South Carolina. Um, it's a lager. It was good. It wasn't not my favorite, but, um, I enjoyed it. I suppose it's got a fun quote from, uh, Thomas Paine on here. I, I mentioned that there's yeah. a, they've got kind of a revolution, did, yeah. American revolution theme. Uh, the title of this beer is Not My King. No way. Which, um, Dude. Oh, oh that hits I think needs so no explanation as to why I chose that one. That was such a snipe, dude. That had ruined chemallergic <laughs> precision with the strike on that one. Uh, Josh is just killing well done, it though. with these, uh, these final draft that entries. Was, wow. Fucking slick. Nice. Nicely oh, done. Wow. Well, um, I drew my my second beer is from Angry Chair Brewing Company in Tampa Bay, Florida, and uh, I've actually brought uh, another version of this beer on in the past. Uh, the one I brought on previously was aged in cognac barrels. This one was aged uh, aged in bourbon barrels. This is an eleven point five percent imperial sweet stout. Uh, Brewed with cacao nibs, cinnamon, toasted walnuts, and vanilla beans. And like basically every beer... No, not just basically. Like every beer I have had from Angry Chair, it is impeccably made. It is so smooth. It is so well-balanced. Just outrageously good. I, I will always go out of my way to get Angry Chair beers when I can. Um, High praise, nice. Yeah, they are as far as stouts go, and, and you know, stouts, porters, barrel aged, strong beers. They're one of the best in the nation, like without a doubt. Um, but this one also goes to the the same scene that Josh's beer was referencing. <laughs> oh no. This is called Unrepentant Transgression. Oh, you've nice. brought that on before, haven't you? Yes, I brought on the Cognac Barrel-Aged, and this is the Bourbon Barrel-Aged. Oh, damn. Yeah. I will go on record first again saying fuck Mo. And, yes, 
Yes, fuck Boash. Um, it's the only proper way to end this episode. So on that note... Yeah, I've cursed probably more in this episode <laughs> than I have in any other episode. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> this has been... I mean, granted, 99% of it was in a one-minute segment, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. so this has been episode 91 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Um, next up, we will be heading on into Oathbringer parts 4 and 5. We will be finishing the book, and I'm sure that's going to be a, a short episode. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you want to support the podcast check that out uh that episode out early check us out on patreon that's patreon.com slash aching out loud you can in addition to getting early access to episodes you can get access to our monthly newsletter monthly short fiction written by rob or myself a bunch of extra bonus content there as always i have been your host drew mccaffrey with me is my co-host rob santos to hell with beard <laughs> and our special guest, Joshua Harkey. Thanks for coming on, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>